Hello, everyone. Just a friendly reminder that you can watch the podcast live and interact with us and other chatters on twitch.tv slash toast. Enjoy the podcast. All right, everybody. Welcome back to the newest episode of the Mixed Media Podcast. I am Mr. Rager, joined, as always, by Mr. Toast. Uh, it's been a while. It's been a while. We were just talking about how it's been a minute. Feels good to be back in the hot seat uh, talking about some movies. Uh, this is probably going to be our one of our more random, like less focused episode uh, episodes that we've done uh, for you audio listeners and VOD listeners. Uh, you will hear us responding to chat quite a bit. Uh, we're doing a lot of chat interaction tonight, just kind of like a big thing before our, uh, Halloween. We do have another podcast coming up Tuesday. Uh, we'll plug that again at the end. We are covering four films from the Halloween franchise. But tonight we're going to be talking about some films that uh, me and Mr. Toast have seen over the last couple weeks. We watched uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2, The Belco Experiment, Hellraiser 1 and 2, and Candyman 1 and 2. So we have quite a few. uh, To to specify for the Candyman, it's the 2019 one and the original. We don't talk about those other two. (laughs) Yeah, two the actual two and three for Candyman don't exist, and there are only two Hellraiser films in a remake. Yep. Uh, Jordan says, "Interact with me. I'm <laughs> sitting here not being interacted with. We are interacting with you, Jordan." Yeah. Additionally, uh, thank you, Trent, for the Twitch Prime here at the beginning of the stream. Yes, yes, thank you very much. It is it keeps us going, keeps us humble. So, uh, I guess we should start with what? Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2, right? I suppose we just go in the order that we watched. Prepare to get flamed, Keegan. No, I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> Keegan had a, uh, I would say, I, I don't I don't think your pers- like reaction to it was negative. I it mean, wasn't negative. It, like... was, it, was, it was lukewarm, I would say. Yeah. It, it was lukewarm. Um, Hellraiser was a banger to watch with you all. Yeah, Trent... Uh, Trent did watch Hellraiser with us. We'll be getting yep. to that one and Candyman, uh, which we also watched with Trent. Uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2 uh, is one of my favorite horror movies of all time. Uh, everybody, I, I, I watch it every Halloween since uh, a boss of mine at uh, where I work, he, uh, he recommended it to me in like 2019, I think. And every year since I've watched it around Halloween, I bought it on Blu-ray. I paid $45 for a 4K of it because I fucking love that movie. Uh, It is an absolute blast. Basically, it is a sequel to the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, which we didn't watch the first one. Uh, We probably should have, but it's fine. (laughs) You haven't seen the first one, have you? I haven't. Out of the entire series, this is the only one that I've seen. That might be why you had lukewarm, because I feel like if you understood what he was going for with the second one a little bit more and had like seen the first one it might have like enhanced your experience basically um for a little bit of slasher horror for you um toast has poop opinions confirmed texas chainsaw massacre 2 is fire there's sam apparently i've let the Uh, fame and the women go to my head too uh if only either (laughs) of those were true (laughs) (laughs) so there's a big everybody knows Big slasher boom. Late set my voice just cracked so bad there. Holy shit. Uh big slasher boom. Late seventies, early eighties, continued up until about the nineties. Uh Scream kind of revitalized it in the mid nineties. But there's 
sequels, sequels, sequel. If you had a franchise, you were making sequels. Didn't want to? Too fucking bad. You're making a sequel. They're making money. It, it, it's pretty much what the MCU and DC is right now to film, is what yeah. the slasher movie were, uh, the slasher movie genre was to that time period. I mean, we got like, it's crazy to me that there are 12 Friday the 13th movies. You might find this uh, very interesting too, Toast. How many of those 12 do you think came out during the 80s? I have no idea. Eight. Okay. Eight of them. And they came out almost annually. There were only two years from 1980 to 1990 where you didn't get a new Friday the 13th movie that year. So upon this success, Toby Hooper had made Texas Chainsaw Massacre in 1974. And it was a hit. Uh, not at first. A lot of people were very disgusted by it. It is, um, for those of you who haven't seen it, it's filmed like guerrilla documentary style. It looks really realistic. The violence isn't overplayed. It, it's scary. Um, there aren't very many horror movies that actually kind of get to me. Texas Chainsaw, the original, does. It's, the way it's filmed is absolutely just it's insane and uh toby hooper went on he was doing other projects uh i didn't i don't think i talked to you about this he did poltergeist with steven spielberg oh okay yeah he, he was doing a little bit of everything you know dipping into horror and uh they wouldn't shut the fuck up about a sequel to texas chainsaw 2 or to texas chainsaw because the everybody's like just do it like just continue it like come on let's go like slasher movies are big right now that's pretty much a slasher movie do another one and toby hooper is like for years he's just rolling his eyes he's like i don't want to do a sequel and he got a submission uh there's like this indie underground film festival i i like I, i'm sorry if i'm rambling i have so much knowledge about this film i love it um uh, he got a submission from bill mosley who um in the movie was chop top um and it was called the Texas Chainsaw Manicure, and it was a parody of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, but like a hairstylist place and in like a nail salon. He loved Bill Mosley. He was like, man, he's great. So he's like, okay, I think I'll, uh, I think I'll do a sequel now, but I'm gonna parody my first movie instead of doing an actual sequel. I'm just gonna make fun of what I did and just make it more over the top, funny. It'll be wild. It won't be as serious. It'll be filmed like an actual movie. So he went and got Bill Mosley. And Bill Mosley, he's like, hey, do you want to shave your head? And Bill Mosley's like, yeah, I want to shave my head if I'm going to be in the movie. And his Bill Mosley's agent was like, you can charge him for that. And Bill Mosley's like, oh, I can? Uh, $200. For $200, I shave my head for chopped up. <laughs> and he's like, okay. So then we got... Uh, we got this movie, Bubba, just a little off the top. Yes. <laughs> yes, Jordan. Exactly. Uh, and then Trent's it makes you feel like you're in the film. Yeah, the original. For sure. So um, I'm going to hand over the reins to you for a moment, Keegan, if you want to talk a little bit. You could either like talk about the like the beginning of the film or if you want to talk a little bit about the film in general. Yeah, so uh, overall, like, I don't think it was a bad film, but I think not having context of the first one, having actually seen it and only knowing like tidbits about it. Um, it's definitely like one that I went into and just like, uh, okay. Like it, maybe I just didn't get it. I don't know. 
but I didn't I didn't dislike it. Um, I actually thought a lot of it was really fun. Like I, the opening with them, uh, with like the the two dudes in the car on the bridge, like that. Uh, that that was actually pretty good. Uh, especially Buzz and Rick the prick. Yeah, I <laughs> yeah. like that part. And then my favorite thing is that uh, when we were watching it, you were like, every single person said the same thing. Where uh, when they're on the bridge, it's like this is a really long bridge, and I said the same thing. <laughs> It it goes on forever. It's it's like what two minutes maybe. Yeah, it's it's a good two minute long bridge. It is yeah. a very long bridge. And then when they show it later, it's like, it's like fucking fourth of a mile. Long. Yeah, <laughs> it's like this. I like to think that they're just going in circles. Yeah, they're just they're just, they're just getting to the end and turning around and like doing the same thing over and over again. I'm um, tired of killing people, Grandpa. Well, it's too damn bad, Jordan says. He's turning around the old, uh, the old holes quote into a horror movie quote. <laughs> I like that. Um, yeah, but uh, a lot of the characters that we get introduced to, uh, I really enjoyed. Uh, I can't remember what her name is. The radio host. Stretch. Stretch. Yeah, that's. Uh, I thought that she was great. That was. Uh, honestly, it was really good there. Um, but like overall, it wasn't a bad film. Maybe if I watched it again with the like having like knowing a little bit more, I didn't enjoy it more now. So yeah, it's it's goofy. I love that opening. I love Buzz and Rick the Prick. There, he wrote them to be like two of the most unlikable characters, but they're so unlikable that you you love it. Like they're so funny. Like they're in the car and they're like, "This is Buzz and Rick the Prick, baby. <laughs> We're on the road to nowhere." <laughs> so good and then they fucking they do it to themselves they're the first uh they're the first two kills of the film they they start playing chicken with a random truck in texas they get pissed it's leatherface and they he fucking chases them and i love one of my favorite lines of the movie is they're going across the bridge and the truck pulls out in front of them and you hear their horn and it's so comical it's just like <laughs> and uh buzz is sitting there he's like what the fuck Back up, pig fucker! <laughs> that line is so good. It's a little out of context, but, but the sound that you just made reminded me of the uh, the like stone walls from Mario. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's literally what it is. <laughs> I love the music. You got uh, Danny Elfman's "No One Lives Forever" blasting on the radio, and they're going and Leatherface up there doing his dance. Oh, it's so good. And then we get introduced to my favorite character in the movie which is played by Dennis Hopper for some reason, lefty and right. Uh, some context for Dennis Hopper. This is not a movie Dennis Hopper you would think he would do. Uh, Dennis Hopper was in Apocalypse Now. He was in Easy Rider. He was in all of these films that were nominated for Oscars, and he was just like, I want to do this. And he like gives it his all the entire movie, like so over the top, like Nicolas Cage levels of overacting. Uh, Sam says it, uh, the freaking soundtrack is unreasonably good. Yeah, it does have a great soundtrack. How did you feel about Lefty and Right? The, um, uh, the sheriff. I thought that it was a such an interesting character because he starts off and you're like, I'm taking this guy serious, and then like three or four scenes go by and it's like i am not taking this guy serious at all anymore <laughs> i am the lord of the harvest <laughs> <laughs> you, um, 
the scene when he just goes into the the chainsaw shop, grabs three chainsaws, puts like two hundred bucks down, and just leaves. <laughs> yeah, he he puts like a he puts like a grand down because he takes three of them. He like walks outside. He's like a uh, the guy like sounds like Hank Hill. He's like give them uh, saws a time or two, and he's just like smashing them on this thing, and he's like. <laughs> like terrified out of his mind yeah <laughs> i love that he like has the one big one and then he has like the holsters and he's yep. dual wielding chainsaws <laughs> oh my god it's oh it's so good um so yeah you get introduced to lefty and it's that stereotypical like police thing he's like you're out of your jurisdiction he's like you want me to leave? I'd just love to see that authority. In, like, real life, he'd just, like, fucking throw him on a plane and send him back to Amarillo. Um, and then we get uh, some stuff with tra- uh, Trash. Jesus Christ. Uh, we get some <laughs> stuff movie. with us. Uh, yeah, wrong movie. We get some stuff with Stretch. And uh, the next big scene that I want to talk about is Chop Top Sawyer's introduction. Bill Murr's film. Jesus God, it's been a long day, guys. I've been up since five thirty. I've had no caffeine. Just full context for this. I'm like wired. Um, this is Bill Mosley's first movie, and this is his first big scene. I, uh, I absolutely love Chop Top's introduction. If you want to, um, talk about it a little bit, Keegan, you can. Yeah. Uh. So, um. Stretch is kind of looking around the studio because the you know, um the sheriff had forced her to basically play the audio from the night that the uh two characters died. I you just said their names like they blanked. Buzz and Rick the Brick. Yeah. So the after they're killed, uh they were on the phone with her at the studio and she like had a recording of it. The sheriff forced her to play it, and then uh later that night she's looking around the studio, walks into like their front office area and he's uh is he sitting on a couch um am i wrong yes yeah so he's sitting on the couch and he's like he's got his his hanger his uh wire hanger and a lighter and he's just heating it up scratching his head and then just eating some skin <laughs> that's the hey i've oh go ahead sorry no go ahead you're good I was just going to say, say, I've never been to a radio station before. <laughs> <laughs> what were you going to say? Uh, that's pretty much all I had, to be honest. Oh. Uh, Jordan does say off. that he is a Jedi. Uh, that's It's not related to anything. He just wanted to get off his chest. <laughs> Sam says that shit makes my skin crawl. Yeah, every time we watch that movie, she hates the clothes hanger thing. I love and hate that scene. I it it's like that's the only part to me that like his character is the only character that really feeds into the horror of the first one because like he's goofy, like he's ridiculous, but also he's like taking a coat hanger, getting it hot enough to like peel skin, taking skin off his scalp and just sitting there like munching on it like it's a bag of fucking skittles. Yeah, like he is just wild, and there are so many great lines in this scene like so many quotable lines he's just like a, a one-liner machine throughout the whole office he's just like going around he's like what what was that you played on the radio anyway was that the rainbow three soundtrack <laughs> it's just so good i love it i used to be able to do a really good impression of him yes you, you, you gotta play it again so the <laughs> the reason that they were able to do chop top right was uh 
they the like for the story they said that he was like in Vietnam during the scene, yeah, the during the first one yeah mm-hmm. okay and that's why he has the dent in his plate yeah well he has that the, the the plate in general plate. yeah why well, he has the plate because he was all uh, blown up by a grenade in Nam yeah he came back I love that I love what he's like uh, when he gets like hit in the head he's like Nam flashback Nam flashback <laughs> and then like he's yells like random Vietnamese like shit throughout the movie like he's just like Nam land fire in the hole napalm <laughs> like <laughs> he is he does such a good job at playing like a psychopath I see why Rob Zombie wanted him for like five different movies um so Leatherface attacks Stretch in the uh in the station during this scene and uh I don't want to talk about the uh the ice scene I don't like the ice okay. scene you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, With yeah. The yep. I don't like that scene. I don't know why he included that scene. I yeah, get it is a why. Weird. It's the only part of the movie I don't like. It's my only complaint with that movie is that it's in my top 20, and that's the only part I don't like is that that weird, like, sexual thing he's got going on with his chainsaw. I'm like, yeah. a little weird. Yeah, I wasn't uh, a fan of that either. I was kind of watching, I was like, this is... uh. Why does this need to be here? <laughs> yeah, it's 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 a weird scene. Uh, we got some chatters. Trent says it's so great, though. Oh, that scene. Uh, Sam says, nom flashback, nom flashback. Trent says, chop top is goaded. Uh, and then I think Jordan is doing a rap in our chat for chop top right chop now. Chop top. Raindrop. Picked up dope and hot box. Tripped over that, like... Um, God, I can't remember the one character's name. Fuck, the guy's with the... Oh, LG. LG comes back to the station, and, uh... <laughs> he just gets fucking clobbered. Just hit oh, over the yeah. head. Just knocked to the ground. And we get a scene that mirrors the first film. There's a scene in the first film, not played for laughs, where it's it's the... When I watched the movie, it terrified me it was bright outside like it wasn't dark i was just sitting there watching the first movie scared the shit out of me there's this scene where they're in the house and this dude's like walking through it and he walks this room and you hear like a pig squeal and leatherface like rounds the corner hits him once on the head with this hammer the dude drops and like starts violently seizing leatherface grabs his body drags him away and closes the door and it cuts the next scene it is like there's no blood, no gore. It's super fast, super like effective to the point. And they, they, we get like that scene in this one, but it's like, like I said, he like parodies it. Like he has the same like setup, but it's played for laughs in this one. Like, like LG like sitting there like this. And then you got fucking Chop Top sitting next to him going, eh, 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 like mocking him when he's dying. Yeah. I love that scene. Oh, Shit, we didn't talk about the Drayton cook-off. <clears throat> oh yeah, we can we can go back. <laughs> yeah, go ahead, go ahead. I'll, I'll let you. I'll let you take the reins on the Drayton family recipe. Yeah. Uh. So, um, it kind of we have to go back a little bit, but basically after um the first night when she gets the recording of the murders, um, she takes it to the sheriff and she's like, I want you to listen to this and like we could you know, use that for the investigation or whatever. Um, and then he's like, I don't care, sends her away. 
she ends up at the it's like a mall or something like that um, yeah and they're having a uh it was like a chili uh chili contest so you can make the best chili and um then it's what's the reward is the trophy's got like a what is it <laughs> i'm trying to it's, remember it i don't even remember it's like a big bowl and then they put the the chili like in it and it like drips down onto yeah. the trophy yep um yeah then they're it's like yeah we won was it it's like what three years in a row or something like that yeah yeah and he's like what's your what's your secret oh don't skimp on the meat <laughs> we we take pride in our recipe yeah. and like she is like what 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 bone is that like that she like pulls out of her mouth is oh, it like right. a, it's uh, like a thing like a i i don't know like a phalange i don't yeah, know it was, i think it was a finger or something it was like a a, a bone in your finger and uh, yeah. he's like oh that's that's a hard shell peppercorn <laughs> it's a part of the secret to the sauce uh sam says isn't that the first kill in that movie yes in the original texas chainsaw massacre uh that that scene is the first kill uh cartman family recipe chili yeah family. Uh, very true yeah um so uh i guess what comes after this is and this movie moves really fast yeah it's uh there's what like maybe four or five locations in the entire film yeah, it goes. It moves pretty quick. It's paced really well. Yeah. Uh, I guess the next thing is, uh, if you want to start as soon as they get to the fun house. Yeah. So, uh, both uh, Stretch and the sheriff find themselves uh, at the fun house. The sheriff is chasing her with his car and isn't like, "Hey, I'm the sheriff" or anything. So she's running for her life from a car, and then finally he's like, "What are you doing?" And then she falls down the <laughs> trap hole or down a trap door into a hole. Stretch! Damn it, I used you, girl. <laughs> yeah. Uh. So basically, she's down the hole, uh, and gets like, um, she like falls like right where Leatherface is at, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, but then he's still up top and he goes into the front door with the chainsaws and just starts cutting everything down. <laughs> just, just tear it all down. Doesn't care about anything. He just wants to destroy the place. He doesn't like that's his first goal, I guess. Um but then back <laughs> Bring <underneath>. it all <laughs> down. <laughs> yeah. As he's sitting there screaming, cutting through uh, like pillars and shit just random pillars of wood that don't even seem like they're uh structurally sound um, i love i love that yeah um but then we go back underground where stretch is at after she's fallen down and uh leatherface is there with uh lg's body just cutting various pieces of his skin off um <laughs> and then we get like so this is the most uncomfortable thing that happened for me in the film was <laughs> He cuts off LG's face and finds her and puts LG's face on Stretch's oh, face and starts yeah. like dancing with her. Uh, yeah. I was so, so uncomfortable. I hated that scene. <laughs> I thought you were going to talk about, yeah, that is actually true. That is some true horror in the, in yeah. the second one. I was, I really liked that. That's a really good way to make you feel really uncomfortable. I mean, like, uh and like the fact that she like couldn't take it off yeah either like her hands were tied yep 
And then LG like fucking wakes up and sees himself. <laughs> yeah. I love when he like sits up like he has no skin on his face and he's still like during the movie, he just like randomly like hawks a loogie and spits it on the ground. Yep. He, he like sits up, he's like, oh, oh like no skin on his body. He like hawks up a loogie and spits it out. You're just like, dude. <laughs> oh my god. Uh, so you you got Detective N right. He's running through the place. He's like, "I'll take you to hell. I'll bring it all down." Yep. He's like singing these like Texan like folk songs and shit. And uh, Stretch, she uh, she LG helps her get away before he dies. And I think his last words aren't they like, "Oh shit." Yeah, I think so. <laughs> and he keels over. And, yep. uh Stretch is taken off, and then you get some, like, shenanigans. There's a lot of shenanigans in this movie uh, with the Sawyer family. Uh, Toby Hooper did make the creative decision to make the poster of this movie a rip-off of The Breakfast Club and, like, the positions they're all sitting. Yep. Uh, and then they see Stretch fucking dart across the ground, and Drayton Sawyer, he's like, did, did you see that? He's like, a, a booger just ran through here and chopped out. A booger? How big? <laughs> <laughs> and um, then we get the dinner scene, which, again, this is something that I hindsight 2020, I think, would have been a lot better for you ha if you had seen the first one. Because there's a dinner scene in the first one, and it is really uncomfortable. Yeah. It is gnarly to watch. It's really fucked up. This one is like kind of played for laughs a little bit. It's not as intense or over the top. Uh, So they, they get him down for dinner and Lefty's coming down and he comes down and they're like trying to kill Stretch. They brought the grandpa down for dinner and he's like trying to hit her over the head with this thing. And Lefty comes down and he goes, boys, boys, boys. And like they're all like looking at him and Drake Sawyer's like, is that the American way of entering someone's home? <laughs> oh, it's such a, it's so good. And uh, they they get into a battle. You can talk about the battle if you want. Oh my god! So uh, I don't <laughs> think anybody in their right mind has ever thought, "What if two people fought with chainsaws? Like, what would that look like?" And then they they brought that to life here. It's uh, <laughs> it's a standoff. So uh, basically, a sword fight, but with chainsaws. They're just going at it. Uh, it's such a weird sequence to watch too. <laughs> You're just sitting there, just like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> I love that he's a cop. He didn't bring any fucking guns. He yep. just brought chainsaws. Yep. And then he has to switch to the he has to switch to the holster, dual wield. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He, he gets like he gets the big one like stuck in his gut. He pulls the other ones. They're sword fighting. And he got Drayton under the table, and he's just like. Where's that old, yeah, just in case, that old, uh, fuck you, Charlie. And he finds this grenade. And uh, I think, I can't remember who, somebody drops a chainsaw and it goes like into the table and it hits him and he drops the fucking grenade. And it like pans out and it just explodes. Leatherface, Lefty, <laughs> Grandpa, and Drayton all fucking killed in one explosion. And then we get what I think is the uh, the better, like, final chase. This is one of the only moments in the, Well, we talked about a couple other moments, but this one is, like, 
Chop Top's not funny now. He is like deranged, like yeah. completely off the rails, like lunacy levels, like chasing uh stretch up this like this like mountain. Yeah. Uh, we got a chatter. Uh, Aripacon Cafe, welcome in. Thank you for being here. Appreciate you. Yeah, welcome. Uh, so if you want to, you could talk about the uh, the uh, sequence with uh, Stretch and uh, Chop Top if you yeah. want to go up there. Uh, so they basically they get to a point where uh, Stretch and Chop Top are like the only two left. And she starts trying to make her way out, and there's this uh this really long like ladder. It's kind of going at like an angle. It's weird, but they're both trying to just get out uh into the surface and like climb basically. And it's they're going back and forth, like getting the momentum. She's been able to like throw him off for a second, get a little bit more distance. He catches back up. Same thing happens until they finally like get up the all the way up, and uh they see what's her name um. I can't remember grandma grandma yeah they find grandma and she's like decrepit and just has like a chainsaw sitting there <laughs> so yeah. uh stretch goes for it she like rips it out like sitting there trying to start it finally gets it going um and basically hits chop top with it and he flies over the railing and dies and then she does the iconic leather face uh chainsaw dance yeah, and then the movie just fades to black. It's a, it is a gnarly ending. Uh, they were actually um, I can't remember what it was called. There, there's a a sequel planned, but just for for Chop Top, and it like was one of the earliest like crowd funded Kickstarter things. It wasn't Kickstarter, but like you know, it was actually done by William Hooper, who is Toby Hooper's son. And uh, it, he started the project in 2000, and it was called All American Massacre. I found it, and Bill Mosley was supposed to uh, return as Chop Top, and like the plot, I, excuse me, if I remember correctly, he's like sent away to this like mental ward, and he escapes or something like that. It it, it was weird. It was very psychological compared to the other ones. He filmed a good portion of it. And then it's it's lost. It is one of the most famous pieces of lost media ever. No one has seen anything from it. And there is an hour's worth of footage that exists somewhere hmm. out there, and no one's seen it. I wish somebody would find the Batgirl movie that got deleted. Yeah. <laughs> it would have been... It would have been... Uh, it would, I think it would have been all right. I don't yeah. think it would have been great, but I think it would have been interesting to kind of return to that and like do something different. Yeah. Anyway, back on track. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Little tangent. But um so that's the uh that's the end of the movie. Um most of the characters die. I, think uh, I Stretch is the only one that survives, right? Yeah, Stretch lives. Yep. Rick the prick if you believe hard enough when I heard. <laughs> Uh, so, uh, I think we should, uh, how we're, do how we should do this is we should just score each one as we go, and then maybe we could do, like, our least favorite at the end. So, yeah. uh, for me, this is a 10. I am sad to say it is a guilty pleasure of mine. I fucking love this movie. I've seen it, like, 30 times. It's so good. 
Right, well, I don't, uh, I don't mean to disappoint anybody. I have to give it a 7.5 without any that's, context of seeing any other films. That's a lot higher than I thought it was going to be. Nah, it's not like, I wasn't like, oh, this is terrible or anything, but like, I, it wasn't, uh, I don't know. Maybe it's like, I heard you hype it up a lot and maybe I had a higher anticipation. Maybe that's, I don't know. I tend to do that with that and freaked. <laughs> and if you watch Freak, they're like, what the fuck? <laughs> uh, you should really watch the first one and then come back to two, Sam says. Yeah, that might that might honestly give him a little bit more of an appreciation uh, yeah. for two. Uh, so, Freaked is the best in the worst way. <laughs> uh, I guess we're on to the Belko experiment. That was the second one we watched. I... Uh, this one was your pick. This yeah. is this is all you. This so, is all you. Elko Experiment's a really interesting film. Um, it's not your traditional horror in the element of like, like monsters or zombies or anything like that. This one is purely like, it it plays more on the human psyche than anything. <clears throat> Starts off relatively normal. You know, it's uh, it's in Colombia, right? I mistaken? I think so, yes, yes. Uh, so it takes place in Colombia, and they're basically, everybody's showing up to work, uh, and it's very strange. So they all work in this office uh, called Belco, um, and there's, like, new security guards outside, and they're like, we're sending any, like, natives uh, to Colombia. We're sending them home. They're not working today. Uh, and they all, you know, everybody gets to work. Their day's going normal. Um we get introduced to a fair amount of the characters here and there. Um, just brief introductions, nothing crazy. We'll get to know more throughout the movie. Um, but everybody's just like, us, oh, another day at work, pretty much. Um, and then they, an announcer over the speaker says, uh, basically, what is it? Uh, in the next 60 minutes, if you do not kill like 30 uh, employees or whatever, uh, then 60 will, will be killed basically. And they're just like, ah, ha ha funny. That's, that's really good. <clears throat> and then like everybody, nobody's taking it serious. Uh, and then these like armored shutters close over all the windows and doors. They're like, that's weird. Somebody must just hacked her security. I don't know. <laughs> um, it's, this is such an interesting film. Um, yeah, and the, as you mentioned in the chat there, uh, yeah, James Gunn did write this one. Uh, he was originally going to direct it, but he couldn't, I don't think it fit in his schedule, so he just sold it off to somebody. Um, but yeah. Uh, so what were your thoughts, like, for the early, like, for the startup? I feel like this movie uh, is titled wrong. You think so? I think it should have been titled Dr. Cox's Office Robbers. <laughs> I, think, I think that would have been... <laughs> That's okay. That's that's fair. Yeah. So the uh, the actor that plays Doctor Cox, whose name uh, I can't remember off the top of my head at the moment, but uh, he's a character in it, and he is one of the characters that uh, later on throughout the film uh, is like trying his best to survive, basically. Yeah, it's uh he he he's awesome. The opening I really like. I I like the setup a lot. I like um how they kind of it makes sense the way that they react at first like oh you know this is a joke or whatever yeah 
Uh, you got Sean Gunn dicking around smoking pot on the job. That's really good. Um, <laughs> uh, gotta love Sean Gunn and Sean Gunn, Sean Gunn and like everything. And then you got Michael Rooker and Polka Dot Man in the basement. Yep. Yeah, I really like the opening, and I like the I like the setup for this movie a lot. It's it, it's a really interesting premise. Yeah, I I think it's a really interesting premise, and I think um, I think the way it all goes throughout is like I I like the way they do it. The only thing that we both agreed on is that the ending is just kind of weak. Yeah, the ending took it down. Whenever we talk about scores, I'll mention it because I have my actual letterboxed what I what I scored it and like what I wrote about it. Yeah, and the ending really like fucked me up. Yeah, I did not like that ending. Yeah. Uh, so, um, anyway, back at the point when they're talking about you know how many people have to be dead within the next hour, everybody you know, just a joke, whatever. Um, and then the hour comes up. And people's heads start exploding, uh, and they're like, "There is it like somebody's shooting? What's going on?" There's gu- they're like they hear the gunshots. They think it's gunshots. It's not. Uh, turns out that the company Belco, they've all been working there for over a year, uh, and when they first started working, they had these like trackers put in their head. Basically, James Gunn wrote the Suicide Squad before he made the Suicide Squad. <laughs> Yeah, do you think this is what's going to happen with, like, uh, uh, what do they fucking call them, social experiment YouTubers if we let them go farther? Probably. (laughs) There's probably a reason (laughs) that we don't let them go farther. Uh, Yeah, it's, the the gore is really good, the special effects are done really well in this movie. And there's a lot of, like, very interesting characters, a lot of them are very Stephen King-esque, and, like, a lot of them are just complete fucking tools. Yeah. Uh, uh, especially Dr. Cox. Yeah, this is also one of the only movies that we get to see uh, Dutch Vanderlind as his actual actor. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I forgot about that. Yeah, it was funny though because I was like, I was staring. I was like, I remember him from something. It's from like interviews when he talked about Red Dead. But he's uh, uh, when he like yelled at something, I was like, that's Dutch. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even I didn't notice it until you said something, and I was like, holy shit, you're right. Yeah. Um, but, uh, anyway, we get to the point where it's very strange, this, the, like, the office that they work at, because they have an armory with guns in it in an office building, I don't know how you write that in, to be honest, I don't, I don't know, um, but anyway, basically, they're at the point where they're like, all right, maybe it's not a prank, um, we need guns, and it's like, why do we need guns, like, what are they gonna do? Um, and then it turns out as we're told in it, I, this is the, one of the things I hated about this movie, actually. Uh, so two of the big characters is the, I think he's, he's not the CEO. He's like the CFO or something for the company. Yeah. So he's the CFO. And then we have Dr. Cox, uh, who both in passing, we're told both have special forces training in their background. And it's like, it's something that if you weren't paying full attention, you're like, you don't know and it's like oh why are these guys so good at killing people yeah yeah they yeah that that is kind of like a throwaway thing isn't it yeah it it happens when they're like uh they get to a point where before they can get guns they run into the kitchen and they start like trying to pull out like knives cleavers whatever they can find um and then it's like told in passing in that moment when they're like this is not how we should be doing this 
Um, and then they finally devised the plan, like, okay, we have another two hours. What if we, like, make some banners and hang it up so that people will, uh, will come and find us? And they'll be like, what's going on down there, right? Um, that plan doesn't work at all. As they're trying to put it up, the security guards that are on the ground start shooting at them, and then they get a notification. They're like, hey, stop doing that, or we're going to detonate whoever's putting it up. Uh, we're going to detonate their tracker. Um, we also skipped over something. There is a scene when they first find out about the trackers. The uh, He's kind of our main character named Mike. He is like, I'm cutting this thing out. He go, he gets a box cutter, runs into a bathroom and locks the door and starts trying to cut the thing out of the back of his head. It's a very, very hard to watch scene, um, as you can imagine. But yeah, that's that's one of the ones I'm like, eh, I don't like that. <laughs> um, but yeah, overall... It's the movie itself is uh it's not like a super complex thing, but it's more of an in-depth look at like what you would do to survive in a situation that is like goes against your morality pretty much. I wouldn't know why they had all those guns in there too. I do too. Like yeah. James Gunn, there's a plot hole. Re- rewrite this movie, please. <laughs> they had like a whole fucking armory in there. Yeah. Um it's very strange. I don't know. I want to talk for a minute about Dr. Cox being off his rocker here. Um, All right. Uh, for <laughs> Well, for those of you who don't know, uh, Scrubs um, TV series, Doctors, Dr. Cox is one of the doctors. He plays a uh, a guy in here who's like up the CEO's ass. Uh, what's the character's name? I can't remember off the top of my head. I can't either. I'm trying so hard to remember and I can't. I think I think it was Wendell, wasn't it? Wendell, Wendell, yeah. Um, and he is a fucker in this movie. Like yeah. he is just like killing people left and right. He doesn't care. He's like, before the Belko experiment even starts, like the actual experiment part in the movie, he's like sexually harassing like this woman that works there in front of her boyfriend. Yeah, like she she's literally sitting there like working, and she looks up from her monitor sees him across in his own office and he's just staring at her and then she like messages him through like the computer and it's like you know when most people will like get caught staring they stop and then he's still just just locking eyes with her <laughs> yeah he does not like yeah he's he's fucking creepy in this yeah. movie the, C, the ceo's an ass too while i'm at it or the cfo he, yeah oh his character is just Ooh. Yeah. I uh where what part are we at in the plot now? Um so it's after they try to do the banners. Uh basically they're like you need to kill 30 people uh before like the 2 hour mark is up. Um and they get to the point where the CFO and Wendell are like gathering people up in the front office or in the front of the building and they're like picking out they're like if you have kids and if you're over like the age of 60 or something like that and they start rounding them up to do like uh an execution of 30 people uh that's so it's one of the hardest scenes to watch truly um because it's just it, that is so that's so fucked up i like the way they do it though yeah makes sense like they were trying to th- justify it a little bit where they're picking out people that are like 
if you're over the age of 60 you're basically on your way out if you have kids you're pretty much safe because you know you still have a responsibility to your family uh so if you were single didn't have kids and were not over the age of 60 you know put them down yeah uh mike does not like this at all yeah he uh he just mike the character and mike here right (laughs) I don't know if I necessarily disagree completely. <laughs> okay. I mean, okay, realistically, they proved themselves that they are going to do this. Makes sense to go for the elderly first. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It makes sense. Single people, I don't know. Like, that's maybe, you know, split hairs, you know. Like, uh, Dave kind of, like, he, he farts, like, in public or something. Like, uh, yeah. You know. Oh, but uh, uh, as well, Mike has been making a target for himself the entire time because he's like, you're not getting guns. I'm not letting yeah, just, you kill 30 people. Uh, and he just paints a target on his back, and they're like, let's go through. Mike fixed that criteria, put him in the line. Yeah, yep. He, he They really, he really fucking does himself a disservice. Like, if I disagree with them, like, I'd come up with my plan with, you know, the other people that disagree. I wouldn't publicly scream at them that they're dumbasses, like, 15 different times. Yeah kind of puts you on their shit list yeah uh so at this point um the janitors are dead right uh i think so yeah yeah Uh, yeah that scene is upsetting yeah like my coworker and i like polka dot man yeah so we uh kind of went over but they uh, they're working in like the maintenance area, and uh, Polka Dot Man. I I feel bad that we can't remember his actual name, but <laughs> oh, D- David Dashamelon. I okay. just like calling him Polka Dot Man. <laughs> Polka Dot Man sounds easier. I'm gonna be real. Yeah. Anyway, they're down in the basement, and uh, he's starting to get really paranoid. And uh, Michael Roker's character is just like, settle down. It's not like we'll be fine. Don't worry about it. And, like, he's been, uh, he, he gave him, like, a wrench to, like, defend himself in case anything went crazy. And he's still having this moment. He's like, this, I can't believe this is happening. And he's, like, freaking out. And he, like, in a, in a moment of panic, he hits Michael Rooker in the head. And he's just, like, and Michael Rooker falls down to the ground. Like, he sits down. And he's like, what just happened? And you look at his head, and there's just this dent. Just dent right in his skull. Uh, and he just dies right there. Yeah, Polka Dot Man did a uh, did a bad there. Did a murder. <laughs> yeah, he did a he did a naughty. Yeah. Um, um, but then he sees uh one of the characters down there, and she's like, I didn't I I I'm not gonna say anything. Don't worry. And he still starts coming after, her and uh, she like hits him, and he like stumbles backwards, and there's these things of rebar sticking out of the wall. He falls back into it, and it goes right into his neck. Uh, so both of our maintenance characters die tragically, unintentionally. Yeah. R.I.P. the Rook Man and Polka Dot Man. R.I.P. Uh, Merle. Yeah, R.I.P. Merle. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, it's it happened <laughs> anyway. So, uh, my memory serves me correct. Uh, they get away from them after they murk some of the people in the cafeteria. Yeah. They're kind of on this hunt for them now, and, uh, they're, like, running out of time, and they just, like, 
barely get to the 30 kill time frame they're uh, at 29 and then the two hours is up before they get the the 30 30th oh that's right it does run out doesn't yeah. it okay uh, that's right yep and then it comes down to i think it's like 13 people left in the office or something like that but basically the next part of the experiment is they say uh, by the end of uh, by the end of whatever time our market is, whoever has the most uh, the most kills, you know, gets to survive basically. And uh, at that point, the CFO had like thirteen. Uh, Wendell had like eight, eight or nine, I think. I thought Wendell had more than him. The Wendell was behind because he was uh, the. This is the part where he sees the girl and he's like pleading. He's like, I think I could beat him yeah so like they they everybody is it's a free-for-all at this point um there's a couple of characters that are still trying to hide uh especially there are two that are on like this elevator they get into the elevator shaft uh one of them gets crushed because he's an idiot (laughs) (laughs) the other one uh she like gets off and then like gets back on making a ton of noise and this is like a few people have died at this point We'll go. I'm going to cover Wendell's death here really quick, actually, because he okay. does not make it out. Uh, but uh, he has a gun still, and he like they're like take this table, and it's uh, it's her and um, I can't remember his name. It's gone from my head. The main character? No. Um, James Gunn's brother. <laughs> Oh, Sean Gunn. Yeah, Sean Gunn. They both push this table and they like they push it over top of him. Um, Sean Gunn is hit during this process and and dies there. But she has this fire axe, lifts it over his uh, over her head, and smashes Doctor Cox's face about thirteen times within with a fire axe. Uh, it's very brutal because you actually see the axe like the first swing. You actually watch it go in to his face. Uh, yeah. it's pretty brutal. The the fucking Doctor Cox and the CFO fighting over these kills, are like these two fucking corporate guys are like two fucking GameStop managers fighting over a pro <laughs> card. <laughs> I think I can beat him. I can do it. <laughs> I need to get the free copy of Call of Duty this year. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so it's down to like four people left. Uh, the girl that was on the elevator shaft drops down, the doors open up, and uh, the CFO just shoots her in the head. One of the most anticlimactic deaths in the entire film so far. Um, it, it was so disappointing to watch that happen, because it was just like, they, they had her survive for so long just for an elevator door to open up and she gets shot. <laughs> yeah, that's another thing that uh, really rubbed me the wrong way, because like, they build her up as like another one of the main characters. Yeah, just to die like die off like that um and uh it's gross yeah so it's mike's girlfriend mike the cfo left uh she gets hit when they're trying to run away from him uh he shoots her uh and then they have this final moment where she bleeds out in front of mike and mike's like all right it's just me and him now pretty much uh and they're going through it's like a conference room with like a projector screen and everything and uh, the CFO is looking around, and out of nowhere, uh, Mike pulls off uh, some WWE moves and jumps off of a table and tackles him to the ground. Uh, gets him into like a leg lock, and then 
Uh, this is actually the cover of the DVD or the uh, Blu-ray uh, box art. It's the kill at the end of the movie with uh, Mike holding the tape gun over his head uh, as he smashes uh, smashes his face with it. I I wish that there were more kills like that in the movie than with guns. Yeah, it almost feels like the guns were like a cop out. Like it should have felt like like you're scrounging around and like oh I have like a pair of scissors or something, you know. Like an office Fortnite. Yeah. Like using what's like available to you. Yeah. Um, and after the CFO's dead, we get one of the most. I don't even want to talk about this. I fucking hate this ending. It was terrible. It was an interesting idea, not done well at all. No, not at all. Uh. Anyway, so Sean Gunn's character before he ended up dying was taking the bombs out of the people that didn't die from the from their thing detonating. He was taking their bombs out of their heads, and he had it in a little handkerchief or something like that. Um. But basically, on the way out, Mike stuffed it in his pocket. And then these uh, armed guards are sitting outside and they grab him by the arms. They escort him into this hangar that's outside the office. And uh, they start to try and, and like interview and interrogate him. And they're like, so like, you know, how did you feel about all this? Whatever. He's like, how do you feel right now? And he's like, did you say you feel sadness, anger, whatever? Um, And then he then Mike's like, yeah, so uh, I put bombs on all you guys. And then he just gets up and finds the switches with all the things and flips all of them except for his own. Uh, and then the guy that was trying to interview him was like, hey, you you value human life throughout the experiment. You tried to, and then he just shoots him with a rifle and uh, walks out. It pans out from the camera and you see that this happened at a bunch of other Belcos across the world. And then it's credits roll. Yeah, oh, I I hated that ending. It was miserable. I just don't like the that the weird thing with them. I wish they would have just shot him, or when they'd like drag him out, like it just like kind of goes to white, and then you could have that final shot of like all the belcos. Yeah, I and think then that I think better. if if it had just been like if they had shown that this happened at other locations and then left it to interpretation and didn't just give me like oh yeah we're a secret government agency that does social experiments basically yeah i i didn't care for that uh so overall what do you give it out of 10 keegan i give it like a 6.57 maybe oh i mine i i gave it a 7 on letterboxd yeah it's not a uh, I, terrible movie, but it definitely has a lot of uh, writing issues where it doesn't live up to what it could have been, especially with the introduction of guns into it, uh, into an office space. Like, that doesn't make any sense. No, it, it doesn't. And my letterbox review, I also said Dr. Cox's office rocker. <laughs> he really was. Uh, so, um, Moving on, uh, do you have anything else you wanted to say about Belco? That's pretty no. much it. I think uh, I think if we were to ever see like a sequel or anything from this, um, I think James Gunn should write it again and maybe direct it himself. I yeah, that's that yeah. I think it'd be it would have been a uh, much better with James Gunn's uh, direction instead of yeah. just his writing. Yeah, we're gonna have to have a quick repeat of episode seven. What do you? Oh, you have to pee. Yeah, I have to be. All right. Well, Mike, this seems to be coming a, a bit of a trend. 
How about we start peeing before the podcast? Welcome back. Back. I'm back. Sorry about that. All right, now let's make a mark for when you return, so for, so I can edit this, and it's not going to be a pain in the ass. Mark. Wait, what? Mark what? <laughs> That's fine. Oh, are you marking this so yeah. you can edit it? Oh, yeah. Okay, here, there we go. Sorry yeah. about that. Goblin running. It was. I I was <laughs> I was hauling ass. I used the sanitizer on my desk. I was like, gotta get back in here. I have no idea why my body made so much piss. No idea. <laughs> so we we are now on to one of my favorite horror duologies of all time because there's only two of them and a remake and a remake (laughs) that i haven't seen yet but i've heard is pretty good pain and pleasure both so great they are indiscernible from one another we are talking about hellraiser and hellbound hellraiser 2 two of uh these I wouldn't say are like in my top twenty or top thirty or anything, but like in terms of horror movies, these both are in the top ten together. I love both of these movies. Um, let's see. Uh, I could do. Uh, I could lead on Hellraiser one if you want to lead on two because you like two a little bit more. Okay. Uh, we could do that. Uh, fun story. Uh, before uh, the first time I watched this movie, I uh. You ever used Pluto TV? No, I have not. You never like looked at it or anything. Mm-mm. Oh, it's cool. Uh, if you have a smart TV or any like smart device, you can get on there, and it's just uh, like 180 free channels, and they all play different things. Like there's one that just plays Doctor Who all day, like One Piece one. Well, there was a horror movie one, and I turned it on one day, and I'd fallen asleep. I think I was sick, and I woke up a few hours later. I looked over. And it was the part with like Julia and Frank and they're like, he's like, I need you to give me bodies to make me whole again. Yeah. And I was like, fuck, this is good. What is this? And I like hit info on the description and it said Hellraiser. I was like, this, this is Hellraiser. This is the pinhead guy movie. <laughs> what is this? This isn't the pinhead. The hell priest who the, a lot of people in the fandom have gone to calling him pinhead is in the first movie, maybe six minutes total in the entire runtime has nothing to do with them. Um, it really sucks what they did with this franchise. And it makes me upset because the first two films are so great because they're, they break the mold of what traditional horror is and what we know of like that type of genre. And then everything past the second one is just a slasher movie. Yeah. Uh, I do. I do want to take a quick side note here and just ask you one question. Sure. Who are you calling Pinhead? Dude. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I should have known. <laughs> um Yeah, this movie, man, it it is it is weird. It's it's very special. I wish Clive Barker got to adapt more of his stuff because he is he's very good. He he just creates things. Um so we open on Hellraiser. And um, we see this man, and he buys this puzzle box from a vendor. And uh, he's like, how much? Or whatever. And he pays him, takes the cube, and he leaves. And we see this guy kind of in his room. And he, it's like he's got all these candles around him. Real, like, Satan witchy shit. And he's about to open this box. 
and uh, they were like turning it around and everything, and he solves it, and we see these chains kind of just start flying at him, and they pierce like different parts of his skin, and they kind of hold him there, and then we see it all just vanish, like it just everything's gone, yep. nothing happened in that room. And uh, so, what did you think of the opening? I was very interesting, because uh, uh, as somebody that's never seen Hellraiser before, uh, I did the same thing that most people that have never seen it before do, where they're like, I, I have a feeling that this guy's going to be more important, and he isn't. Uh, so seeing the Hell Priest in the beginning, you're like, oh, there he is. And then he's gone for like the rest of the movie. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, he's he is not in it very much. Uh, Sam says no movies that start with a person buying something from a creepy vendor can end up with a happy ending. That's debatable. They... Uh, I'm sure you could find one somewhere. <laughs> uh, Gre- uh nah, nah, Gremlins was kind of a happy ending, but a lot of people died. Hey, it could um, be like the crate from Creep Show. Yeah, it could be good Creep Show reference. She also said uh, they credited him, credited him so specifically because they hated that nickname. Yeah, yep, that's true. Yep. They hated uh, the nickname. Clive Barker hated the name Pinhead, and he thought it was it, it like made lesser of what he created. Yeah, a, a huge um, thing about that too is like so many people went off of his character design for a nickname for the character, which is uh pretty much what you do in high school. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, pretty much. You're right about that. Uh, so we get this family moving in there, and it's this husband and his new wife, and she's a bitch. Her name is Julia. She is she is a bitch, yep. and uh, she like enters the house, and she's like, "Ooh, it's so gross." There's like bugs crawling everywhere, and it's revealed that it was his brother Frank's. So, um, Julia goes upstairs, and some time passes, and uh, her husband comes up, and he like cuts his hand he's like oh honey i'm bleeding and he like walks in and he drips blood on the floor little does he know frank is like interdimensionally trapped in the floor i know that sounds weird yeah but he's like trapped there spiritually and the blood like kind of wakes him up and he starts uh to need flesh and he starts by eating like some animals and then he talks to julia and he's like hey how about you bring me some people and uh, you let me uh, eat them. Yeah. We also had to talk about the prosthetic makeup in this movie on yes. Frank. It is so good. It is yeah, unbelievable it, for the time period and everything. It looks phenomenal. He looks very believable when he's like coming back to life and he's like, he, he has no skin on his body. Yeah. It, he, so they build him back up layer by layer. Yeah, it's it's a really cool effect. Sam says terrifying. Yeah, it's it it is an awesome awesome effect. And um, what's very interesting as well with with that whole thing is the amount of just really cool like miniatures that they utilized, especially in the second one, and just like used the practical effects that they had, and they made everything look so good. I mean it every frame of that movie is just a work of art to me it's just it's weird to call a horror movie beautiful but hellraiser is like one of the ones for me personally that like gets closest to that bar of being absolutely just gorgeous yeah a lot of the effects and everything are very well done i love the way it's shot as well like it's 
don't know, it feels claustrophobic uh in a lot of scenes yeah i agree um so do you want to talk a little bit about your reaction to like a third or a little bit more than the third of the movie just being julia building frank back up and like did you see that coming from this movie uh i didn't honestly like i without having any prior experience like i mentioned to hellraiser you think it uh revolves around the the cenobites or as i like to call them the cinnabon delights a lot more than it than it actually does yeah it's it's very it's so weird too and the novella is really good it's it's short um it's really really well well written and it's it's like a romance really and the cenobites are just kind of there and it's like this weird fucked up it's hard to explain so like i was saying over a third of this movie is uh julia getting uh um these bodies Yeah. yeah and she's like picking guys up from bars and he's like he lures him in or she lures him into the attic and then he kills him and he's like i need skin he's like i i I need a good one i need skin and he wants his brother's skin yeah the even crazier part of it um throughout the throughout the movie is like i don't even know how many the like confirmed kills they actually have but he's like yeah just like three or four more i'm pretty sure it's more than that yeah yeah there's yeah he um he went through a bunch of fucking uh there there were at least i i feel like there were more than four i agree with you like i'm trying to count in my head but i man, mean i feel like there were some that were off screen to be honest like the way that because it has like a little montage doesn't it or th- yeah a little a little bit yeah can we can we just pause and talk about like how fucked up of a person Julia is? Yeah, like yeah, so her brother fucking... having an affair with him before he died. Yeah, yeah, yes. okay, yeah. So she was well, having an affair with him before. Once. Yeah, it happened once. Yeah. yeah. Um, and... but then to like obsess over him so much to the point where you find out that he is now a blood monster, and that to bring him back to like to his full form is to bring him more people to kill uh and just accepting that like yeah i can do that like what yeah, like how like how fucked do you have to be to be like yeah my uh my uh my uh brother's dead bro- or jesus christ my husband's dead brother i think uh i think i'm gonna bring him back from the dead suck yeah. on his finger and uh kill some people for him like but see what's so what weird too is like when they first get into the house at the beginning of the movie they're like looking around and uh they find like the little cot or whatever that uh frank was sleeping in and she like finds pictures of him and she just starts having like fantasies about it yeah yeah she's fucked yeah she's just as sick as he is yeah and you have uh you have frank now and he he wants his brother dead he wants his skin and um their daughter uh his daughter is kind of like he doesn't like she doesn't like julia already yeah and she definitely didn't like frank i okay let me ask you this did it seem in the movie like they were insinuating that he molested her that's what it seemed like 
It really seemed like like the imagery of like the ro- like the flowers and whatever and fucking it really seemed like there was like something that happened when she was younger. Yeah. And especially like we'll get to it here in a second, but like when he's cornered, he's like, Come to Daddy Frank. Yeah. Like that's weird. There's yeah. some fucked up shit going on there. Oh yeah. So um so he's like, I want the skin. Julia's like, no, no, no. And the husband comes home, and finally she's just like, good, take a skin. Like, this poor guy, he's like the nicest husband in the world. Yeah. And he's just, like, so confused by her, like, mood swings. Yeah, she's, like, on and off. Like, uh, like it seems as though she's, like, fully committed to Frank at that point, And she is just, like has doesn't want anything to do with him and when she finally like starts trying to frank's in the room and uh is like creeping up and he and she's just like no don't stop i can't i can't do it and then he had he's like i don't get it yeah the husband's like you were just all over me and now you're like what's happening here um so there uh his daughter gets home and she solved the puzzle box and had an encounter with the Cenobites. And he was like, or she, she makes a deal with them. She's like, hey, listen, a guy escaped here. His name is Frank. I could get him for you. And they're like, okay, go ahead. We'll, uh, we'll give you a chance. But if you're lying to us, we will tear your soul apart. And uh, she's like, uh-huh. <laughs> she gets back to her house. <laughs> Yeah, mm-hmm. she gets back to her house and she realizes what's going on with her dad. And she like comes to realization the only way she's gonna get out of this is if she brings the Cenobites back. And they appear and they're like, they find the dead guy like with all of this like blood sucked out of his body. And uh, the hell priest picks it up. He's like, "Find me the man who did this." And uh, she leads them to Frank. Um, so what did you think of like this whole this whole section of the movie? I thought this was this might be my favorite part of it. Like getting to the to the climax here was uh it's cuz now like the mystery is pretty much solved and we know what's going to happen now. Um as long as you know it goes through and even then we have an air of uncertainty because um the Cenobites are like just because you bring him to us doesn't mean like we'll think about it but we're not guaranteeing you'll be safe. Yeah, he um, yeah, they're they're very shifty little critters. Yeah. Uh, additionally, so, I do want to go back to when she solves the box in the in the room, uh, in like the hospital. The most iconic line for me was, "Uh, you opened the box, we came." Yeah, that that that's one of the most famous lines from the first movie. You opened the box, we came. We also skipped over Julia's death. Uh, Frank just fucking mercs her. Doesn't oh, give yeah. a shit about it. It was an all. accident. Like he he was like aiming for Christy and got Julia. Yeah, and he's just like, oh well, shit. Yeah, Trent says, "Fuck Frank." <laughs> um, so they they get a hold of Frank, and one of my favorite improv lines of all time is in this scene. They start pulling his skin apart, and they're, they're like, got the hooks in him, and they're pulling him apart. And uh, the hell priest is like, 
you do not need to see this. And she's leaving and she like kind of turns and looks around and they have a piece of Frank's face kind of dangling there. And he like licks his lips and he says, Jesus wept. And then he just explodes. That line was completely improvised. He was like, originally didn't say anything at all. He just like kind of screamed and exploded. Yeah. And they're filming. And he was like, I'm going to try this out. And he, he did the line. They were like, whoa, like, <laughs> that's pretty good. That's, that's pretty good. It's really creepy. Uh, some chatters. Trent says, fuck Frank. She deserved it for real. <laughs> um, so now that uh, the Cenobites are chasing Kirsty, if you want to talk a little bit about it. Uh, yeah. So basically they're like, we're not done with you to uh, Christy after, uh, or Kirsty. It's such a weird name. <laughs> anyway, but they're like, we're not done with you. Um, and they, they're like, same thing's going to happen to you basically. But she uh, picks up the box and starts reversing what she did to solve it. And it's, uh, it's hitting, it's casting these beams out that hit the Cenobites one by one and send them back. Um, the only one that doesn't get sent back actually was, uh, which one is that? Like, cause he, he has like the roof, like cr- collapses on him. The chatter. Is it the chatter? I thought it was the one with the little sure. tiny glasses. Oh yeah, it is. It is the guy with the tiny glasses. Yeah. You're right. yeah. He gets like crushed and then, uh, he's still in the sequel. Uh, I don't know what happened. <laughs> anyway. And then the, uh, at the door, what's that thing? It wasn't a Cenobite. What was it? It was a, uh, it, it's like a guardian of yeah. the cube. Um, it kind of like appears and they, they drive it away. Yeah. Um, when they're leaving the house. I, I think that sequence is a little rushed. I think so too. Like it feels, it feels like they were like, Okay, now we gotta like wrap up this whole thing that we did with Kirsty and like finish the movie. And they're like, uh, uh, she solves the box. <laughs> <laughs> and she figures out the lament configuration. Yeah. Uh, Trent is quoting the movie No tears, please. It's a waste of good suffering. Um, so she escapes with her boyfriend. Kirsty's running down the road. And there's this homeless guy we've seen a few times throughout the movie. He appears every so often weird. He, like, is eating the bugs in this pet store. Yeah. Like, he has, like, a handful of, like, crickets on his hand. Turns into, like, this flying skeleton thing. <laughs> takes the box and leaves. And we fade to black. And then we see the trader that had it at the beginning of the movie selling it to somebody else. What is your pleasure? It's a, it's great, uh, and then we get to into the sequel. Well, we should write we should write the first one first. Yeah, uh, let me pull my thing so I don't contradict myself. Uh, you go first. Uh, I'd probably give it a nine. I really enjoyed the yeah. first one, dude. <laughs> I gave it a nine on my letterbox. <laughs> Your camera did not like that. <laughs> it no, didn't, it didn't focus on that at all. <laughs> well, I gave it a nine. Uh, I said, we have such sights to show you. I love that line. It's, oh, the Cenobites are so cool. Yeah. They, they're they very unique, and I love just the whole lore. And it, it's so cool that they, they, they're they not even a, a major part of the film. The line they're delivery from the Hell Priest is phenomenal. That is the great Doug Bradley. 
I love Doug Bradley. He is he is awesome and like everything he does, he's he's the best. So uh we are now on to Hellbound. So I'll let you take the lead now. Uh I know you like Hellbound a little bit more. I I do too. Yeah. So um it opens up this is it's not very long after the the first one, is it? No. It's like maybe a month, couple months maybe. I don't know. It's not long yeah, it, at all. It it has that like opening like flashback and yeah. then it has now. Yeah. So we have the flashback at the beginning, which uh I don't want to give anything away too much right here. I want to save it until we get further in because it uh it comes back at the end of the movie. Um, but it starts with a with this flashback and then we go into it and uh Kirsty is in like a mental hospital. Um and like all the doctors and everything, they're like and she said something about like this weird box and these uh these cenobites or whatever she's calling them came out, uh basically wanted to kill her. Uh her uncle Frank was a skeleton or whatever. I don't know. They're, they're none of them believe her. They're just like, yeah, she's full of shit. Yeah, she's she's a psychopath. Yeah. So you don't want to you don't want to say anything about the British officer opening the box. What is it? You don't want to say anything right now about the British officer. We can mention the box. that there's a British officer that opens the box. Yeah, that's what I was. I was wanted to put that in you guys' head. <laughs> yeah. Just remember that this character is very very important. We just get another person who opens the box. Yeah, he's like just that. like in this tiny like uh, it looks like a barracks or something, uh, and he opens the box, and that's pretty much all we get for the opening. Well, yeah, we see a little bit more. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. Um, we do see a little bit more, but we're gonna save it. <laughs> Um, where was I? Talking about Kirsty in the hospital, and everybody thinks she's a psycho. Yeah. Uh. So basically, you know, she's like, "I'm not crazy. I'm not taking these meds. I'm not crazy." And they're like, "It's just to help you sleep, whatever." Um. But then she's having like these episodes where she sees things. Uh. One of them is she sees a, she sees a, the the like skeleton of her father that had the skin removed. She sees it. And on the wall, it says, uh, uh, I'm in hell alone or something along those lines. And, uh, they're just like, they come in the next morning. They're, she's sitting there, uh, staring at the wall. They're like, what happened? It's like, I saw him. And they're like, no, you didn't. Whatever. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, you didn't. Shut the fuck up. <laughs> True. Uh, but. It's uh this is the moment when they're trying to introduce some more characters here. Um we have the lead uh like psychiatrist or whatever you want to call him, um, who's going around. He's making rounds throughout the hospital, like he goes down to like the lower floor and he's like uh looking at all these patients that are just they're like so far gone, there's it seems as though there would be no way to bring them back. Um But they she tells them Julia was killed on a mattress. You have to burn that mattress. You have to destroy it. Otherwise she could come back. Uh, and the, the lead doctor is like, Oh, that's interesting. I want to get that mattress. <laughs> he's, he's like a cool story. She told it to the wrong fucking doctor. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty much. Um, and the other shrink would have been like, yeah. Okay, buddy. Yeah. But this one was like, where's that mattress? Where's that at though? <laughs> anyway, um, so one of the other doctors, uh, is like, I'm going to go like investigate. 
and he heads over to his place and he sees the mattress on the floor. He's like, that's the mattress from her story. Uh, and there's like blood stains on it, whatever. And then the doctor comes in and uh, he has a, a patient that thinks that he has like bugs all over him pretty much. And he's like scratching. He's like, help me get it off. Help me. Uh, and then he gives the uh, patient, what does he give him? A box cutter. A box cutter. Yeah, he gives him a box cutter, and he's like, "Oh, that'll help." And he starts like cutting into his skin, trying to trying to itch these bugs that aren't there, and he's bleeding all over the uh, all of the mattress. And then Julia comes back, arms burst out of the mattress, and like pull him, pull him in. This is a great scene. Like the uh, just her coming out of the mattress and like. Uh, she like gets him like on the mattress and like bites his neck or whatever it is. It's, it's, does she go for the weird hand thing in the skull or is it, it a bite? I don't remember. I I can't remember either. I think it's the hand thing. Yeah, basically she takes her hand and just shoves it into the back of his skull and like just takes his his energy. I guess if that's what you wanted, the primordial goop. <laughs> <laughs> uh. Yeah, then the doctor, we get this huge reveal where, like, in his office, where the mattress and everything's at, we see he's got, like, four or five of the puzzle boxes. Uh, he's, like, obsessed with it. He has, like, drawings of the of the Hell Priest and other Cenobites, stuff like that. He has, like, so much of this evidence, and he's obsessed with them. Um, so finally having this, this chance, he has this kind of obsession with Julia because, you know, he brought her back. And then we see that uh, to bring her even further back, like Frank in the first film, he's taking all the patients that were in the lower level um, of the hospital and just sacrificing them to her. And she even gets her own skin back by the uh, by the end of it all. But um, there's actually before I, before she actually gets her skin back, I wanted to mention the scene because I almost forgot about it. Uh, there's a scene where he like wraps her in all these bandages. And they like it's such a weird sequence. Yeah, uh, it's very sexual. Yeah. It's very sexual, but then the other thing about that too is like it goes a, they transition her back into skin so quickly, it felt like it was almost not worth doing in the film, personally. That's not saying that it wasn't worth doing, but it feels like they did it very like quickly. It felt a little rushed. That's all. Yeah, it, it was well. They there was a lot to get to in yeah. this one. Yeah, because like, they opened up a really lot here. Shit. Where the yeah. first ones like uh, it's Frank and Julia for the first half, and then it's like the Cenobites and uh and everything at the end. Um, this one was trying to set up a lot more to begin with, but basically Julia gets her skin back. The other doctor, um, that was spying on the whole interaction, goes back and he's like, "Hey, Kirsty, you weren't wrong. Uh, this shit's this shit's real." Uh, let's go, like, let's go investigate whatever. And they head over. Um, and encounter Julia, who is now fully, fully fleshed up and, uh, kills the other, the other doctor. It's such a, what a interesting, interesting premise, really. Like this film, like now that I'm even like thinking about it now, I'm just discussing, like, this is such a, such a unique concept that I don't think anybody else has ever done. That's Clive Barker, man. He's yeah. weird. Like he's he's got the shit. Yeah. Stephen King has like talked about him many times as, about how much he loves his work. Yeah. Um, 
I feel like we should also mention Tiffany because we've seen yeah, her. Yeah, I almost forgot to mention Tiffany as well. Um, Tiffany's one of the girls being um, kept at the hospital. She's nonverbal, uh, and she like basically they just give her puzzles to solve. And he, or she's the, she's basically gonna be used by um, the doctor to solve one of the cubes or one of the puzzle cubes and uh, bring the Cenobites in. Uh, Doctor Shenard. I Chenard. looked it up because I couldn't remember it. Yeah, I couldn't remember either. I wanted to. I was like, I'll just keep going. Hopefully, we remember at some point. But <laughs> when they finally do, uh, so she solves the puzzle. And the Cenobites show up, and then the Hell Priest, I can't remember the exact line he says, but he's like, no, this wasn't done, uh, it was, basically he realized that Tiffany wasn't the one, wasn't opening the box, like, of her own volition, she was being made to do it. Yes. What's the uh, line? This is, I, I feel like it's, uh, this is not her hand. Yeah, something along those lines. But then, yeah. uh, after this happens, the movie goes, like, it goes to 11. Yeah, it, it goes really fast. Like, shit is hitting the fan. Yeah. Um, so, they force her to do the limit configuration. And uh, I think I think I remember what he says. He, I, um, he says to her, this was not her desire. Yeah. And then he uh, looks over where... Um, Julia and what's his name again? Sorry for the nest. <laughs> uh, Chenard. Chenard. Dr. Chenard were at, and they're not there anymore. But all of the walls and everything have opened up uh, to the labyrinth. Yeah, and we see this like fucking giant creature called the Leviathan, and it grabs a hold of Chenard. And uh, at first, uh, the first time I thought I saw this movie, I thought he was Dunzo, but like he becomes like the main Cenobite. Yeah. Um, they put him in the brain blender 3000. Yeah. As I like to call it. He, like they picks it up. He's like, ah, <laughs> <laughs> just vibrating. Yeah. Uh, so, oh yeah. So, all right, go keep going. Um, but throughout this, um, the, uh, Cenobites see, uh, Kirsty again. And they're like, ah, so second time we've seen you, this uh you have no other like stories here, like we're gonna take you this time. Um you can't keep getting away with it. Uh well You can't keep getting away with this. You can't keep getting away with this. Uh so her and, and Tiffany are trying to uh basically get get out. Well, I mean, okay, so here's to her whole thing is she wants to find her dad here in the labyrinth, uh, since she was having the visions and everything. Um, and Tiffany's just like, I'm just along for the road at this point, I guess. Um, and Julia is also in the mix. I don't remember. It gets really foggy here, to be honest, because it's a lot is happening. Well, yeah, they're running through these labyrinths, and they all kind of have their own thing going on. Yeah. Uh, Kirsty is with uh, the Cenobites, and uh, we get that moment with uh, Kirsty and uh, the Hell Priest first. 
And uh, if you want to talk a little bit, of, this is when we first see Shenard being reborn, and this is the reveal of the British officer. Ah, yes. So, in the beginning of the film, as we discussed, the British officer solves the puzzle and uh, basically is taken into the labyrinth and turned into the Hell Priest. We watch as all the needles are put into his head uh, and everything. So we get the reveal that the Cenobites were at one point human. Yeah. And it is... And they were taken over by their greed. Yeah, and it's such a fantastic reveal. Um, it's done very well. Like, you kind of have... You have that moment, where, like, at the beginning, where you're like, you see like the origin uh of the hell priest and you're like oh shit and then it cuts back and it's almost as if they've restored their humanity uh in that in that moment as uh the doctor comes in in his newly found cenobite form that it seems he's getting very accustomed to he's uh he's taking a liking to his new form he's loving that shit yeah um and he starts cutting down all the cenobites that we that we've come to know at this point uh and in their final moments we see them back as their human forms really really good scene yeah They're really good i love the Doug yeah, especially movie. the scene uh the hell priest is also uh taken out but in his final moment he looks over at uh kirsty and tiffany Kind of like this look of understanding as he it's taken out yeah it's oh it's so good yeah. i love that they didn't do anything cheesy they it was a really good ending for his yeah. character um, um we also have what happens with uh kirsty and uh and her father that wasn't actually yeah. her father it was frank again yep uh which is this scene was very disturbing because um, if we thought that you know there was uh that we suspected <laughs> we just got a redemption for you to sit up <laughs> me yeah oh my god it's I for both of us but it's for both of us but anyway oh. um we have the it, if we had our suspicions that in the first movie um that Kirsty may have been molested by uh, by Frank. It's almost confirmed in this film. Uh, in yeah. The, in this scene, where he's basically basically like, they are, "This is my person, my own personal hell." They tempt me as there's these. Um, I don't know what you call it. It's almost like a coffin that rolls out. Like think of like a morgue. Uh, like the the pullout table, it's like those, but it's got these uh, these invisible women on it. He's like, "This is my own personal hell." Basically, I just can't have them. But, but I'm just saying that that's basically Frank. Yep. <laughs> uh, yep. Pretty much. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway, um, who is it? The show? does Julia show up in this scene? Am I thinking uh, right? Yes, uh, she comes up and uh, she kills Frank uh, again. She destroys him. Yep. And then uh, Julia gets uh, killed by the vortex. She gets sucked out of her skin. Yep. <laughs> yep. So now it's just Kirsty, Tiffany, and Doctor Shenard. Yeah. Um. And at one point, 
uh when i can't remember who it is was it one of the was it the hell priest that uh like did something to the cube and he made it into like the labyrinth or not the labyrinth the uh leviathan's shape uh it was uh tiffany i believed okay um basically the cube got taken and now it's in this uh it's almost like a pyramid or not a pyramid more like a crystal like layout um and they're like if we solve the cube we can close the labyrinth we can get out and go home basically uh and leave the doctor here um tiffany's basically singled out while trying to solve the puzzle uh and kirsty gets like thrown back and uh is like I don't want to do and we see her run away and uh basically tiffany's left holding onto the ledge um of the labyrinth trying to not fall while the doctor is sitting there uh, trying to push her out basically and then julia shows back up uh and is like come here basically and he's like i thought you were done with me and she's like i could never be done with you pushes him over the ledge and then goes to help tiffany up He's grabbing her hand as the like as her arm starts to rip off. The arm rips off and she pulls her up. And then we get the reveal that it was Kirsty who just took Julia's skin and put it on. Yeah, it was just wearing her skin. Yep. It, uh, it's pretty good reveal. Yeah. Uh so we see these two guys at the uh at the end of the movie after the girls leave and you know they're all safe and uh we see them like moving this mattress out of Dr. Uh, Chenard's house and one get one of them gets pulled into the mattress and the other one sees this like pillar rise with it and there's a bunch of like faces of like cinnabites and different people on the pillar and uh we see the guy from the beginning and the ending of the first movie who is like uh, pawning the cube and he says, what is your pleasure, sir? Fades to black. Yep. Really good. I really, really like Hellraiser 2. I think it's one of the best horror sequels. It, it is. It, uh, Sam says it sounds like a very wild movie. It is very, very wild. Like, it is. It's different, for sure. Yeah, I think Sam's only seen the first Hellraiser. Okay. I don't think I've I don't think I've watched the second one with her. Oh, okay. Um so what would you give it? She said correct. What would you uh would you rate it out of ten? I give it a nine point five and purely the reason I can't go ten is just because of the like how fast the pacing is in the beginning. And I get why, but at the same time it still is something that I I wanna knock a lot, a small point off for. I don't know why I my letterbox review is off. It should have been a nine. I had it as an eight. I forgot to put the little because it's done in like a star scale. But uh, I gotcha. It it it's a nine for me. Okay, I really liked it. It's it's really good, and they're both a nine for me. But I like like the second one is like nine point oh five. Like it's like right above that mark. Yeah, it's a little bit better for me. So. uh we're now into our final duology of the night. Candyman and Candyman 2021. There is no such thing as Candyman Farewell to the Flesh or Candyman Day of the Dead. If you think that you've seen those movies, we would like to inform you that you might be in a mental hospital. <laughs> so Candyman was your pick, right? Yes. Uh, so okay. the first Candyman was my pick, and then... 
um, you suggested watching the 2021 one because it was um, the tie-in uh, was definitely it was definitely worth the tie-in. I'll, I'll say that much. Yeah, it's um, really good. So to go into Candyman, um, for a little bit of context, this was one of the first horror movies I ever watched when I was like younger, and it was like I caught it on TV at like 3 a.m. And uh, to say that I was unsettled is an understatement. I was straight up. I was like, oh shit, this is good. Uh, this is like I was on edge, um, but <clears throat> Candyman. It's uh this movie takes on the concept of urban myths and legends, um. So we follow. Uh, why is her name gone from my head? Uh, Helen. Helen. Yes, we follow Helen, who is a grad student. Um, and one of her projects is working on, uh, studying. Uh, studying urban myths and legends, as uh, as previously stated, but she gets caught up on the idea of Candyman, um, who I don't remember what exactly like how she gets introduced to the idea. Uh, what was it? I can't remember. Uh, it's uh, she gets it from uh, this urban legends like thing that she uh attends, like a lecture. Yeah, that's right. And then, uh, as they were talking more about it, the she meets like one of the janitors for the uh, for the colleges there, and she starts talking to her, and she's like, "Yeah, the one of the other uh, janitors knows about it a little bit more about it," and starts talking to her. Um, and they she starts talking about how like uh, a body was found at uh, Cabrini Green in the um, they they say it's linked to Candyman. Um, as the legend goes, if you look into the mirror and say his name five times, he'll appear. Pretty sure Discord seeing yourself on Discord like we are counts it as a mirror, so watch the amount of times you say that. Yeah. Don't say it. <laughs> um basically it's uh it's scary Terry, uh, if you think about it. Or uh Bloody Mary. The yeah. just the Bloody the Mary. dumb legends that we came up with is or were told about as children. And I love that about this movie as well is because it's something so similar to real life where we've, we've talked about, like, we've all been exposed to the Bloody Mary game, the Scary Terry, all of it. Um, so the fact that it's something that very much happens in real life is being done in this movie is very cool. Can I just say, it, it is like a... Uh, it, it, the Candyman kind of encompasses multiple different urban legends like you yeah. have the guy you, you you ever heard the story of the guy at the drive-in and there's the killer on loose and they left uh, uh the hook on the car door handle like the serial yeah. killer had a hook yeah. for hand yeah that's where the hook comes from and things like that there there are a lot of different urban legends oh and the uh and like it's also an urban legend the uh candy that has like razor blades and shit in it yep yeah, that one that that idea of the candy with the razors is expanded upon a lot more yeah. in the second one. Yeah, because we we talked about how that like in reported history, there's only been one, and it wasn't even relevant relevant to Halloween or anything. Yeah. Um. But, um, Helen convinces one of her friends to go to Cabrini Green, which is um, it's in the projects. Uh, the film takes place in Chicago. I should mention. Um, and she wants to investigate the area where the body was found and, um, 
she's basically lurking around taking pictures um and the entire time this is actually something about posts about the production of this film um is it had a slightly lower budget so what they did was instead of hiring uh like extras to play like the residents of cabrini green they paid like actual like gangbangers and thugs to uh to fill the role which is crazy uh, I think that's a, something that also makes the movie so unsettling is because it's taking place in a real life situation. Uh, like this is like an, they, they filmed on location. So, um, it's very cool. I also feel like we should mention, uh, cause we, we, uh, we did, we neglected to Clive Barker wrote this as well. He wrote Hellraiser. Oh yeah. He also wrote this. Yeah. So he was kind of everywhere at this period in time. So, um, she uh she's working on this thesis on how cabrini green uh the residents of cabrini green use the Candyman legend and um she's talking to the, the victim's neighbor uh i think her name's Anne marie Anne marie yeah yeah uh so she's having dinner and they're talking about the the candy man and uh i'm pretty sure the original name for him was daniel robotile uh if i'm and, not wrong i think yeah that sounds right and he was the son of a slave he fell in love with a white woman and impregnated her uh they sent a lynch mob after him killed him the like the story that we've heard sadly many a time and uh they burned his corpse in this like big fire and um Helen comes back to Cabrini Green and she meets this boy named Jake and uh I'll let you uh Yeah, so Jake uh Jake is a firm believer in the Candyman story. Um and he's basically like, Yeah, I've I've seen Candyman and tells her about this uh this public restroom that's outside and uh who was it? It's about this little kid that was in there. And got like basically cut like groin to stomach uh by a candy man. Um, and she wants to go like take pictures, look at the like the area hurt for herself. She goes in, she's taking pictures, and these uh, these guys walk in and one of them has this hook that he ca- keeps in his hand and he's like, I'm I'm the candy man. Um I'm the candy man, bitch. Yeah, that's exactly what he says. And uh basically assaults assaults Helen. And uh, the kid comes in, he's like, fuck around, find out, I guess. <laughs> yep. uh, yeah, so then it cuts and she's at the police lineup with uh, with all the people. And they're like, step forward, say the line. I'm the candy man, bitch. <laughs> they do that. Uh, and she's like, yeah, it's number five. He gets prosecuted, basically. Um, and then she's still just going about working on a, on her whole thesis. This is a, it's such an interesting film, truly. Yeah, it's, it gets really weird and uh, psychological at a certain point. Yeah. Uh, So she, um, it's after this happens that she says Candyman, right? It's, uh, it's actually before they even go to Cabrini Green for the first time. Uh, uh, Okay. That's what I thought. Um, and he finally, like, after this happens, he finally, like, yeah, she's in, the, she's in the parking garage. garage, yeah. And uh, he's, like, talking to her. He's like, be my victim. And Iconic line. 
Tony Todd is so creepy and he's got the bees like crawling in and out of his mouth, which he actually just like put honeybees in his mouth. Yeah. He, he's crazy. He's such a good actor. And um, I got confirmation, he, uh, by the way, chat and uh, audio listeners. Uh, I did ask Mike if he would, if he would be his victim. And he said, yes, I would, I would indeed. Tony Todd is a hunk. <laughs> um, so he explains to Helen that he has to shed innocent blood. This is, he's got to do it. Uh, and then Helen kind of like passes out. She wakes up in Anne Marie's apartment. Her, uh, Rottweiler is dead, uh, just completely decapitated. And her son is gone. So the police come and uh, take her. Yeah, they're uh, basically they're like, they're, you have no defense. Like you were, you were in the bathroom covered in blood. You had the weapon in your hand. You have nothing. Like, um, basically, she's she's just forced into it. There's nothing she could really do about that. Um, but uh, where does it go from here? She isn't like. She's taken into custody. Yeah, yeah. And uh, her husband bails her out. That's right, yep. Um, and basically, she goes about it, and um, she's, like, trying to talk to her husband. She's like, you believe I didn't do it, right? And then he's just like, eh. <laughs> uh, and the throughout the course of this, like, she's just missing that entire chunk of time from the parking garage to waking up in the in the... The apartment and that's like if you put that in perspective that's terrifying if you if you were just like yeah i was in the parking garage now i'm in a pool of blood and there's a dead dead dog head uh but <clears throat> after this she's basically tormented by Man uh continuously uh until we get to another point where uh her friend shows up the one that she went to Cabrini Green with the first time and is uh uh basically ends up killing her as well and we're put in the situation of like everybody's like okay there's no way that the first one was a fluke Helen you literally are killing people and they're all just the I don't know she's just like there's no way they take her into a psych ward pin her down um and then like we have this scene where uh Candyman is floating above her bed as she's screaming and she's like, He's in here, he's in here, and then he goes under and the she's like, He's under the bed, he's under the bed. They just shove this needle in and sedate her. And uh then we finally get the reveal that she's been like sedated for like a month. She's been in the psych ward for like a month and we like she lost that entire month of time in the psych ward just because they kept giving her drugs and she didn't know. Um, yeah, it's messed up. Yeah, it's fucked. But um, she uh, finally makes her escape. Uh, go ahead. You had something. Oh, I was just going to say that uh, the scene where she's like kind of where, where she's committed finally is just at this point in the movie, like you're like, I don't know. Like, this does seem a little weird. Yeah. She's the only one that really sees him. Yeah. Uh, I think that's a thing, too, where. It's like if you say it, you see him. That's yeah. Uh, and no, nobody else has said it throughout the film except for her. Um, but during uh, during this, she basically looks in the mirror 
says his name five times again, and the uh, doctor that's interviewing her just gets like just his throat slashed or something. You see blood just start coming out of his mouth, I think. Um, uh, as Candyman is there once again. So she's like, I have to get away from this. Like, like she gets herself out of the restraints um, and then is like making an escape. She steals a uh, nurse's uh, uniform and just kind of blends in until she gets out and might, makes her way back to her old apartment where she sees her... Uh, her former husband has a uh, a new roommate, <laughs> a student of his named Stacy. Yeah. Uh, as they're repainting the walls and everything, in the and she's just like, "You like never believed me." Uh, having this whole thing, Stacy is like in shock. She doesn't want to speak at all. Uh, this is like I. You get to this point in the film, and you're just like, "Oh, like this is." Like genuinely, um, throughout the entire film, you feel uneasy. But at this point, you're just like, this is like, you don't know what to believe anymore. Yeah, it's it's rough. It yeah. is really rough. And she decides, like, well, uh, I guess you know, my husband cheated on me. Uh, we're done now. I guess the only thing I could do is go to Cabrini Green and try and save Anthony, who's Anne Marie's son. And um, she gets there. She makes a deal with Candyman. He, she, I'll be your victim. And uh, there's like this mural thing. Um, there's a mural of Candyman and his lover, and it's it's her. And uh, he says to her that he he promises he'll release Anthony if uh, she helps him strike fear into the hearts of like the people of Cabrini Green. Um. He's trying to burn both Helen and Anthony in the fire. And she kind of, like, knocks him back and, like, starts crawling out of it. The fire collapses on him, and she's crawling out. Her skin's burning off her body. She looks like Anakin Skywalker in Revenge of the Sith. Just, like, she's crawling out of this. <laughs> she does. She's crawling out of this giant fire, and she's got the baby safe. And she gives it to Anne-Marie. And, um... There's like they have this like small funeral uh for Helen and like all of the residents of Cabrini Green are there. Yeah. When when she's getting buried. And then we get this like kinda Little teaser stinger. thing. Yeah. Um uh Tr Trevor, her ex husband, is looking in the mirror and he says Helen's name uh five times instead of Candyman. And she appears and kills him. So, uh, thoughts, what, what do you, what do you think about this movie? What do you give it out of 10? Yeah. So, uh, this being one of my first horror movies, it's very special to me. Um, especially I like that it plays on the urban legends thing. Um, like you don't really get to see that a lot of the time seeing a, seeing an urban legend be real is very cool. Um, but I love the, uh, I love the whole, like, story around it i love the production stories with like the shooting on uh on location everything i it feel it makes the movie feel more authentic when you know that like when you have that knowledge um but then i love the performance of all the characters uh tony todd especially like the way that like 
the way that he portrays Candyman was such a it's not he isn't very imposing per se I mean besides the, the hook and the bees but um I think so much of that comes from his voice the way that he speaks as Candyman is very uh it's very it's very good uh, it's uh it's awesome he he does such a great job, and he did a great job as Venom in Spider-Man 2 as well. Yeah, if you haven't played Spider-Man 2 yet, you should do something about that. Yeah, you should play it. Yeah. Uh, Candyman is a 9 for me. Yeah, I, uh, I wholeheartedly agree. It's a 9. All right. So we are on to the only other Candyman film that has ever been released. Don't Google it. We're right. Your your Google is not. There's only other one other Candyman movie, Nia DaCosta's 2021 film, and I love this movie. I saw it in the theater uh, right around the time it came out. It did such a good job, like blending in more social commentary. It it was very very good and it was uh i'm pretty sure it was supposed to come out before the pandemic but it was delayed a bunch i think so um yeah and on top of that we also have jordan peele who was a a large part of the film he gets the executive producer role but he definitely helped in a little bit more than that he, he also helped write it he was yeah. uh part of the screenplay as well yep is his production company monkey paw productions yeah uh, so we open in 77 and we see uh we hear about this guy named sherman fields and he's like wait must be one of those mandela effects or something oh the candy man movies. uh yeah there's only two of them uh i don't know what you're talking about so um there's this guy and uh it, his name is sherman fields and he's like there's this rumor going around that he's putting razor blades in candy because there were a bunch of white kids that got uh, razor blades in their candy and they ate them and they died. And uh, Sherman Fields gets blamed, the candy man. Yep. And um, this uh, this boy goes into the bathroom in Cabrini Green and he's just like comes out. He's just like smiling. He's like, I got candy. And the cops just come in and just beat him to death. Yep. Just absolutely beat him to death. And it's revealed that he was innocent. Uh, a few weeks later, more blades showed up and more kids candy. Yep. Uh, a big thing about this, too, I didn't mention it when we watched it, but the um, the moment when he's walking away, like he takes the he takes a handful of candy, he's walking away, and he's about to head back home, and he hears the cops rushing the building. The one singular piece of candy that he drops on the floor there's something about that that is just so i i love that part of it so much it's such a small detail but i love it yeah it's it's a really good opening and i love the different actors that they got to play the candy man in this one um yeah. there's some stuff i'll get into what we'll get into um there there are several different uh versions of Candyman in this movie yeah and it works really well with the idea they're trying to convey so uh i'm gonna try and speed this up a little bit because it's like midnight and we're we're, we're about to hit two hours yeah um <laughs> so uh it's in present day i think it's supposed to be like 2018 or 2019 we have this author art author jesus christ artist anthony mccoy he's uh in chicago He's doing these paintings and he's trying to look for some inspiration. He meets this uh, 
he well he hears the story uh his uh girlfriend's brother's boyfriend tells him and um about uh Helen Lyle yeah and it's we realize she became like the an boogeyman urban legend of, yeah an urban legend the boogeyman of Cabrini Green after that night they were like ooh yeah, I don't know the about this way, Helen Lyle the way that they retell the story um and like twist it like the when we t- when we hear about how she uh like about how the dog was killed they say she was in the bathroom doing uh uh snow angels in the blood um and like whenever um the whenever the baby was like uh was lost they found helen throwing the baby into the fire yep yep they 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 twist it and it's it's really interesting kind of like how they made her this thing this legend um and they tell them about the candy man thing well he, well sorry jesus i'm jumping way ahead of myself he um wants to investigate it further so he goes to cabrini green he gets stung by a bee and he's talking to this guy that he meets in this laundromat and he is the boy that witnessed sherman's death he yep. saw it um he talks to him about the Candyman, and he explains to him that he has to say it five times. So he makes this piece of art, very elaborate, like say my name, and everybody's like, "Yeah, that sucks. That's fucking trash. Yeah. Dumb." The big dumb thing too guy. is like his girlfriend and everybody. They look at it and they're like, "Um, they're like your first couple of pieces. You were kind of hinting at the idea, but this is like straight up. Like this is gruesome, and it depicts it straight up." Yeah. Um, and what's really cool about it too is the way that he does the art piece where it's it's a mirror on a wall and then the mirror opens up and it shows the art pieces inside yeah yeah it's it's really neat so they um a bunch of the art critics like shit on him and he's pissed he's like fuck you guys and he leaves um and there's these people that are kind of left it's like this museum curator and like his like secretary but yeah they're sleeping together and uh they're they go in front of the mirror and they they say candy man and he shows up he kills them both really cool special effects i love the way the lights are flashing we also didn't talk about how cool the opening is with like the credits and everything upside down and oh yeah upside yeah down. Yeah, so it's a, it was very cool. I love the music in this film as well. Uh, it's one of the best parts of it, as well as the cinematography. But um, another detail I absolutely love is every time that we get to see Candyman in this film, it's uh, only in reflections. So there's yeah. a there's a part where like when she first says it uh, at the art exhibit and is killed, um, you see like you just see a reflection of it. And then the other guy turns and there's a reflection on the wall as this uh, projector screen is being cut. You see it being cut by itself. And then you look in the, in the uh, reflection and you see him walking along with the hook, cutting it open. Yes. Yes. It's so good. It's the way that they did everything in this movie is, Oh, it, 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 the way that they reimagined the candy man and, had his scenes made him just that much more impactful. They, it really elevated him. Yeah. Um, 
so they're both dead and Anthony's like freaking out and he sees Candyman and he um is getting interviewed by this girl and she's like oh so you're uh, infamous now because you're painting so uh, I don't think it should anymore yeah that's a huge and, thing uh, too is like the uh the like the art critic that was there he was kind of telling her about the piece and everything and she's like oh I see that like very um very short very noticeably short with him um and everything and uh the th- the i actually did a little funny joke when we were watching it where she starts talking about the about the piece and like kind of criticizing it being like uh passive aggressive with her critique of it and then i just went just say you don't like it <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah that's very true yeah uh but then yeah so she's bad he's at her apartment and um she's kind of discussing the piece and she's like I ah, two people died in a, because of your art piece or whatever, so I think it's kind of cool. Yeah, and he's like, "How about you? Uh, how about you give it a try?" And um, he uh, he leaves, and um, she's killed by Candyman. And yep. uh, he goes to this dinner, and they're like, "Hey, that bitch is dead." So he's like freaking out. He's like, "Oh my god, Candyman's real!" He goes to the laundromat owner. And he talks about the original one that we hear about in the first movie, Daniel Robitaille. And um, it's been, like, renewed. Every time, like, an innocent black man dies, he becomes a new Candyman in the hive. Yep. Uh, I think they should have called this movie Candyman. I know that's weird, but I think it would have worked really good as, like, a plural play on the It could. Um, So... He's like, okay. Um, he he goes to like talk to his girlfriend, kind of explain to her. She's like, you are losing your fucking mind. And then it it cuts to the school, and there's these kids, and they go into the bathroom. These like bitchy, like mean girls, and they say it five times in the mirror, and all of them are killed, just wiped out one after the other. And uh, the bee sting is like getting worse. It's spreading all over his body. He's got these holes. He goes to see his mother, and we get such a good reveal. Um, he goes to his mother, uh, his mother's house, to talk to her, and we notice that it is the actress from the first movie reprising her role. Uh, he was the baby that Helen lifted out of the fire, and um, Anne Marie was his mother, and she tells him i'm sorry i lied to you you're born in cabrini green and you were that baby tells him the whole story and then everybody kind of blamed it on helen and uh it wasn't her fault yeah so he goes um his girlfriend is kind of looking for the laundromat dude he's tr- she's trying to find him and she goes to this like abandoned church and she finds anthony and he's just like like kind of in this chair and um He's, like, telling her that you have to, like, we have to do this. There has to be a new Candyman. It's the only way, the revenge of, like, the you know, the, the racism that's affecting us. The only way is another Candyman. Yeah. And uh, he's, like, just starts, oh, it's so guttural. He's just sawing off Anthony's arm, and you just hear, like, the flesh and bone just, like, come apart. Yeah. He takes this hook and just like shoves it into the hole. 
and you're just like, oh my god. What, so what did you think of the uh, the reveal and then the building of the new Candyman? I thought that was very cool, because it's not like... It kind of ties in that the Candyman is more of a... Uh, it's more of a mantle, almost. Where it's something that has to... Something has to happen. Some form of... Um, injustice has to happen for a new Candyman to be created. Uh, and it was it was such a great reveal as well because we kind of we kind of get the understanding of why there are different uh, appearances for the Candyman. Yeah, and all the different time periods. It's it, we get a really cool scene uh, with that. I can't remember if it takes place after this or before this, where it like goes from Candyman to Candyman, like the pictures. It's really cool. Like it's the, when he's first uh, telling him. Um, about like the history of like the first candy yes, man. That's right. That's right. Um, so he replaces Anthony's hand with a hook and he calls the police. He's like, Oh, there's a crazy motherfucker down here and he's got a hook for a hand. And he's killing us. And, um, uh, his girlfriend escapes and she, she kills William and, uh, he like collapses in her arms and she's holding him. He's like, it's okay, Anthony. It's okay. And like his eyes gone sideways, his skin's all fucked up. He's got a hook hand and he's like crying and the cops shoot him down in cold blood. Yeah. The moment that they walk in, she goes, wait, he needs help. And before she can even finish saying that they pull the trigger on him. Yeah. And then we get the, uh, one of my favorite scenes of the movie. She's, uh, in the back of the police car and they're trying to like get her to go along with the statement that Anthony was like a psychopath and just justified what they did. Yeah. And she's like, Hey, uh, can I, I'll do that. I'll do whatever you want. Can I see myself? And the cop's like, no, she's like, come on. I, I won't go with your story unless you let me see myself. He's like, okay, fine. So he, uh, he, uh, turns the rearview mirror and, she says Candyman five times. Anthony appears and just massacres all of the police that are yep. in the area. And there's bees. And we get this really cool scene where it transforms. Um, I wish it's cracked again. Uh, from Yaha Abdul Mateen the second. I can't believe I pronounced that correctly. <laughs> into Tony Todd's Daniel Robitaille. Yeah, and uh, it's great because you get to see it. Um because uh, it's bef like before so, so she's in the back of the car handcuffed and you see him come around the side of the car and in the reflection on the window uh, of the car you see Tony Todd's face as he goes around the back uh, so cool uh, and I love that the uh, you mentioned it when we were watching we like how the Candyman went from a symbol of you know, injustice to a symbol of vengeance in that moment. Yep. Yeah, I love I love the the way that that sequel develops the plot from the first one and like yeah. moves it forward that way. It's it's really good. Um, some little bit of trivia for you, Keegan, because I didn't tell you this when we watched it. You know the sequence at the end where you see the different like shadow puppets. Uh, yeah, yeah. So we see Daniel Robitussin. We see Sherman. We also see Anthony Crawford, James Bird Jr., and George Stinney, and then Anthony. 
Anthony Crawford, James Bird Jr., and George Steeny are all real people. Anthony Crawford was killed by a lynch mob in 1916. James Bird Jr. was killed by a group of white supremacists in Texas in uh, June of 98. And George uh, uh, Stinney was a 14-year-old boy who was wrongfully convicted of murder and then put to death for it. Jesus. And they found out years later that they were wrong. They put a 14-year-old to death. That's insane. Yeah. Yeah, and that's a really great way to... Reminded me a lot of Tales from the Hood where they flash, like, the real imagery. Yeah, but it's it kind of ties back in, and uh, it, it gives you the real-world, uh, like, experience. Like It, it adds that in, and it, by doing so, it pulls us in where it's no longer just a movie. It's now part of history, really. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's done really well. What, uh, what do you rate it out of 10? Uh, it's it's up there. I, I think the original and this are both so good. Uh, it's probably a 9 as well. Maybe even a 9.5. I gave this one a uh, a 9. And I it's the same with Hellraiser. They're both a 9 for me. But I would give this one a little bit more than the first one. Yeah. I, I like think I think the reason why this one works more is yes, it's more political, but it's also still like, uh, it's more modern with yeah. the with the current politics because the first one's political too. So yeah, this one is a different kind of political. It's it's re- it works really well. Yeah, even if you're not really into like a lot of political horror, this one I think does it pretty well. Yeah, especially because it's not done in a way where it feels like it's being forced down your throat. It's it's not subtle either, but it's it's more like eye opening, I suppose. I was going to say that we should uh rank them all, but I don't think I can. I they're all so different. Uh I don't think it'd be um I don't think it'd be fair to rank them like that. Yeah, I uh I, I I completely agree with you. Um, so I guess that's it. That's that's what we watched the last couple of weeks. Um, yep. We've got a big one for you guys coming up on Tuesday. We are reviewing and talking about Halloween one, two, and three, and Halloween twenty eighteen. Um, we should have that episode for you guys on Halloween. We um that'll be a really fun one uh, for our live viewers and for our audio listeners as well. We love you. Yeah. So it uh that's pretty much it. I I think this is a good episode. I, I kinda like when we do the more kind of lightning in a bottle type episodes. Yeah, yeah, it's fun when you don't have like a completely strict thing you gotta do and you kinda just have like a hodgepodge of different ideas. Yeah. I think uh, I at least I hope so, but I hope that for this episode there was something for everybody. Maybe uh maybe one of the movies that we talked about or just um, anything like that. Yeah, I completely agree. If you haven't seen any of these and uh, any of them sound interesting to you at all and you would like them, definitely check them out. There's several of them you can get for free online for like with Tubi and stuff like that. You don't even need a subscription. Yeah, and for our uh, YouTube watchers, we hope that you uh, put comments down uh, in the chat t- or in the comment section telling us about what uh, your thoughts were on any of the movies, if you've seen them. Uh, or maybe if we've inspired you to watch them for yourself. So 
Yes, that would be good. Hit me up on MySpace and let me know if you're an audio listener. Yes, he's the guy with the whiteboard. Yes, I'm the MySpace guy. <laughs> uh, hit me up and let me know what you thought. Um, so we've got we've got that coming up. And uh, I think that's... We got an Attack on Titan episode coming up in a couple weeks. Yep, we're uh, nearing the final episode. Yep, we're almost there. It'll um, be interesting. We'll be talking about the... F- finale of uh attack on titan and it feels like it was uh just uh two weeks ago that we started watching it yeah it it went by pretty quick time time flies yep all right that is pretty much everything from us uh once again uh join the toaster discord Uh, there'll be a link for that in the uh description here on youtube i'll see if there's a way i can do links on spotify but i have no idea i haven't done it before um, we'll see about that. Um, make sure to follow uh, me on Twitter at uh, convicted. I believe it's convicted underscore toast. I don't remember. But yeah, that's pretty much it from us. I uh, hope to see you guys in the next one. And we appreciate you guys being here as always. Uh, subscribers, followers, all that. You guys are great. Thank you guys. Have a great night. Uh.